The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Starlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello everybody, welcome to Walk the Mile again. If you've been listening before and if you're new to this podcast, great to have you with us. Uh, I'm here speaking to someone on the other side of the world. I'm with Emily Chancellor. How are you, Emily? I am so great. Thanks, Gary. How are you? I'm really well. Where are you? I'm in England. I'm in Guildford, uh, which is the like south west of london southwest of london and yeah. how long have you been there for um i've been here for just over three months now um i'm over playing rugby professionally fantastic. um which is pretty cool for a season wow that's fantastic and who are you playing for so i play for harlequins which is one of the Premier 15's team, so they have a men's and women's team in, like, the top-tiered competition for both the men and the women um, in the UK, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And how long, that, how long has they had a women's competition in, with the, in England for, do you think? Ooh. So the competition is semi-professional at the moment, and I think they've had a competition running, well, I don't know when it started, but it's been semi-professional for probably the last four or five years um, and it's genuinely the the leading competition in the world um, in the women's game in terms of offering full-time rugby for some people but also balancing those that are working full-time during the day and then also wanting to pursue rugby as a high-end passion. Is that Was that always your goal to play over there? Um, I don't think it was always my goal to play rugby overseas, but playing in Australia, um, there isn't the opportunity at the moment to be full-time. And I think you're only young once and only potentially able to be able to, or physically able to to play rugby full-time for a certain period of your life. Um, And I'm now 31 and I think you know, there's not um, a huge amount left in me that can keep going in that professional um, domain. And because there's not the opportunity here and I love rugby so much over here being in Australia, um, I thought if I can take an opportunity to play rugby professionally and sort of live out that dream um, and also get better at rugby from doing it, like why shouldn't I just say yes? Um, And I was at a point in my uh, professional career away from rugby where I thought, you know what, if I don't do it now, I'll get caught in the web of earning money and life and family and this is the time to do it. So um, 
it's not something that I necessarily always dreamed of doing, even in the last 10 years whilst I've been playing rugby. But I think it's something that happens in the men's game so frequently in terms of the game of rugby union being so global. And I thought, if the game is global in the women's, in the men's game, why can't it be global in the women's game? Um, So I actually reached out, I went online, I thought, I'd like to play in that competition. It looks like a good competition. Um, I Googled where all of the teams are based around the UK <laughs> and um, landed on two teams that were about around London right. and thought they look good. And then I was like, well, how do you contact them? So I looked them up on the website, no information and no email addresses that I could see that I wanted to contact. So I jumped on LinkedIn, typed in Harlequins, found a couple of people that had some sort of coaching or rugby related titles and linked in with them and they passed on my email address to the right people and I just basically said hey I'm from Australia I think I'm all right at rugby and I think you should have me in your team and that's how it happened. (laughs) Are there other Australians doing the same thing other Australian women doing the same thing? This year is the first year that we've had um, girls over here professionally and I'm lucky enough to be playing with two of the I think there's six of us over here um, but two other girls are playing for Harlequins at the same time as me and we all live together, which is really nice. So I've still got a, a slice of back home um, and some familiarity as well to sort of relax to rather than always being on my best behaviour. <laughs> That's great. And is it a pretty, when you say semi-professional, but you're doing this full time, you're not working yep. anywhere else at the moment. No. Yeah. How much of it is your uh, training program? Like, do you create a training program for yourself and how much of it is the the team program? So with the girls that are all full-time, so there's a portion of us in the squad of, say, 40 or 50 that are full-time and we're expected to be at training during the daytime as well. So it's not all afternoon training, um, but the core team rugby sessions are done sort of from four o'clock with the, you know, a group of people probably arriving at at 6.30 for the team meeting. But there's an encouragement that people are sort of here from four. And if you're a full-time athlete, which all of the English, um, prefer, like the the women's national team over here, anyone that plays for England is full-time. Oh. Um, they're all, they all train full-time for their club teams. So We've got, say, 10 girls who play for England who are training full-time. There's two Scottish girls. There's the three Aussies. There's an American. And then basically, if, you know, you're a uni student and you you play for Harlequins, you're you're welcome to come to the daytime training if you can make it. Nice. So we have a – I don't get to do much of my own training, which is um, – kind of nice and kind of different to being back home because you, you sort of get to be a bit more in control of what you do but um loving that there's someone you know running my gym programs telling me what to do when I run working on my sort of individual skills or the the contact work that we have to do during the day and all of the um analysis and preparation for games each week when we prepare to play so it's it is full time for me it's just the semi-professional because the competition doesn't quite have the money to be able to turn around and say we are going to be a fully professional competition yeah right whereas the 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 men's competition is fully professional isn't it 
Yeah, yeah. So they might have a couple of boys that train part time with them, yeah. but that's just because they have their thirty odd players that that are full time, and yeah. they don't need to worry about the extra. Now I remember you. The reason why I'm talking, Emily, is because Emily's an old girl, an ex student. <laughs> there is a reason. some random rugby player you've pulled from England. <laughs> no, I remember Emily fondly as as a great swimmer. So yes. when I, I I think I stumbled across Emily playing rugby at in Brisbane at Suncorp Stadium when there was a the tens the yes. uh, rugby tens was going on very hot summer February can't remember yeah. what year that was and there I, there you were on the field playing rugby yes. I called out Emily what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you playing for the Waratahs then yeah playing for the Waratahs playing for the Waratahs how did you get into rugby. Um, so I didn't find rugby until um, about my second or third year at uni. So I was at Sydney Uni, um, actually on a netball scholarship at the time. Um, so I swam all the way through high school and played a lot of netball. Um, I didn't even know rugby was an option for girls, to be honest. Like it's not something that was really prevalent when I was growing up. Um, I always watched the men play. I loved going to Waratahs games on the weekend with my dad, mm-hmm. um, went to Sydney Uni games and watched the, the the men play there, but never thought I was missing out. I just didn't think that rugby was a girls sport. Well, and op- then it wasn't an option. No, I don't think it was. I, I, I don't, I'm sure it was somewhere, but it really wasn't a, an obvious option. Um, and I got to uni I knew there was a women's 15s team playing at Sydney Uni, but it wasn't, again, something that I thought was for me. I was happy playing netball. Um, And I got an email. They did a big um, push for the um, Aussie 7s team when they were just turning into a professional program. Um, And they did like a a Road to Rio, Pathway to Gold, um, Talent ID Day, and they emailed everyone through the university. So it wasn't because I played netball. It was just because I had a Sydney uni student ID. Um, and I got an email saying, you know, do you want to go to the Olympics? Come and try rugby. And I got this email at the same time as um, my, one of my best friends from primary school, who I still played netball with. And we both loved rugby. We both loved watching it. And we were like, oh, it'd be kind of cool just to learn how to do it. Like, just to say you could tackle, like we're pretty physical when we play netball, like we might be all right. Um, And we went to this talent ID day and got tackled and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. But I stood up from it and was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. Like like you want to just, it just was like instantly something that was so, so foreign, but so exhilarating in the, um, I don't know, the, the the space of something that you've really admired for so long. So you could imagine um, yourself like when you were watching the games, watching the men play. Yeah. Imagine yourself doing that. Is that what you mean? Well, I never had thought that I could. So yeah. suddenly this opportunity of being like, oh, you could you can be more physical than you are in netball and it be, you know, part of a sport. Cause I'm not, I'm not an angry person, I'm not a physical person. Like I have a younger brother, I used to, you know. We used to play in the garden, but I never, like, we used to play soccer in the garden and never would I slide tackle. Never, you know, like, I didn't end up on the ground. I ended up on the ground by accident in netball all the time, but not because I was 
like trying to push someone over or any of that. So it wasn't a a desire to be more physical. It was just this, I don't know, I just caught a bug from from going to this trial. It was like, I just want to learn how to do it. I had joggers on. Oh, no, I had boots because I was playing soccer at Sydney Uni as well. I was playing all-age soccer, so I had footy boots on. I had no mouth guard and no idea. And um, they they did tell me straight away, like, you really shouldn't do contact if you don't have a mouth guard. And I was like, it's okay, I'll just I'll just try. Pinch your teeth. Very quick, yeah, very quickly got a mouth guard <laughs> after that first session, went to the chemist and got one of those ones you mould. Um, <laughs> they're not the ones, you've got to get a proper one. But, um, yeah, so I literally learned to, I would have picked it up as a very early on sport yeah, second second or third year at Sydney Uni. And then by the end of my um, primary degree, primary teaching degree, I um, had dropped my netball scholarship and was on a rugby scholarship. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. So you went to yeah. on a netball scholarship. Yeah. Wow. Child for this. Did you end up going, yeah. playing in so the service? I didn't go to the Olympics at all. I um, was invited to train alongside the Aussie Sevens team for a year or so quite regularly. Um, But at that stage, I was so raw in the game of rugby, um, still learning how to pass the ball backwards because I didn't, the one sport I didn't play at Skeggs is touch footy. I was going to say, did you play touch? No. My mum said... You can pick netball or touch because I'm not having you play two sports that are bad for your knees. And I was already playing netball, so I stayed with what I was familiar with. I kick myself now saying, like, I should have just done one term of of touch. What if I'd realised so early on that it was the sport for me? But it wasn't. Those skills skills seem to have, even though you didn't play touch at school, those skills seem to have uh, developed fairly quickly. Yeah. Do you think think like a crossover from netball to to rugby what what are some of those things um an awareness of like the 360 degree sort of spatial awareness in netball i think is massive so you can see where opportunities are and know there's nothing happening from behind you in rugby yeah. but having the the awareness of the people around you on your team when you're attacking same thing with where the space is and the people are in defense um it's there is a lot of that transferable skill it's still passing a ball it's just backwards yeah. um <laughs> and the contact is attitude so right. you know it's perseverance to to learn a new skill um and not be too afraid of of it because yes it's going to hurt but it actually hurts more when you hesitate and right. do it slowly than it does when you just go at 100 percent. right and you and in injury wise has, has, <laughs> yeah. has uh, been an issue in terms of with rugby compared to netball like your mum didn't want you to have bad knees but have you yeah other injuries I... back any sport you play comes with a risk of injury um the higher the level of contact uh of course, the bigger risk of injury. Um, as long as you're learning the right ways to do things, like unfortunately, sometimes, yes, you just get injured and it could be um, from the contact. But most of the injuries that happen in rugby are soft tissue injuries, so muscles. Um, and that usually happens from, you know, overexertion in a sprint. And that could happen when you're doing athletics. That can happen when you're playing netball. It's just 
the, you know, the higher impact injuries that are the ones that are unique, I suppose, in contact sports. But for me, injury wise, I don't want to say anything without touching wood. <laughs> a couple, but you always, you know, you, you, you get used to, I think different sports, you get used to the sort of the level your body needs to be at to be primed to play. Yeah. And you know, I have friends that, you know, do athletics and track and field and that the you are so in tune with your body as a as a track and field athlete to know exactly like if you are not 110%, you're not running. Yeah. Uh, whereas in rugby, you can feel 60-70% and you know have sore shoulders and a sort of stiff neck and a bit of a sore MCL in your knee and your ankle's a bit stiff and you're still okay to play. Yeah. Um <laughs> because because you're always going to be sore because it is it is a full contact sport. Like you do, um, you get used to it. But, yes, there are injuries, but I've had many playing netball as well and swimming, to be honest. And swimming, exactly. Uh, I've noticed when you do play, you wear a headgear. Do you still wear a headgear? Yeah, I do still wear headgear. And not everyone wears a headgear. What, what's no. important for you? So I wear headgear for a couple of reasons. Most people think it's for um, concussion, and I'll eliminate that as a um, a myth headgear has absolutely no um benefit or protection from concussion it's purely um there for sort of scrapes and bruises and bumps that you might get around your face as you sort of enter enter rucks or breakdowns mm -hmm. um i put on a headgear to play 15s to give me some emotional support the first time I wore it. It was a bit like I'm playing against big girls. So I want to be a little bit extra, extra protected. So I strap yourself in, pull your chin strap tight and off you go. Yeah. Um, I think the other reason I wear headgear is because when you have hair on your head <laughs> and you go and make tackles and get tackled and have people all, all over you, your hair gets messy so quickly and I got so sick of retying my hair right. like 70 times in a game and when you wear headgear you just have to straighten your headgear at the end of a ruck and right. you, you're good to go again so that's really the major reason why I wear it is so that I don't have to deal with my hair in a game some people braid it I just think I, the braids still yeah. get messy if I wear the wear braids so headgear it is um but the one piece of gear that I will always wear is my mouth guard because I think concussion is one of the biggest risks of any contact sport and um, I value my brain too much and my teeth but mainly value my brain and that's why I wear a mouth guard because that's the biggest protector of that precious wow. little thing inside your head. Right. So you learn a lot about about your body as yeah. you've been saying already just by playing rugby and um seeing how your body works. I guess you listen to your body quite a bit, it sounds like, as well. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's really incredible how the body can work and how your mind has so much more control than you think it does. Like you can feel like you're the mo you're too exhausted to keep going, to keep running, mm. and your mind can change that, like how, how mentally strong you can be from sport. Um, you can feel a bit of pain and and sort of, check yourself and and know what your limits of pain are and go okay well no actually I just got stepped on I'll be okay it's mm. going to be a bruise tomorrow but I'm not broken yeah. versus 
those moments where you go, no, this is pain that actually I need to be worried about. So I think I have learned a lot about my my body, but also how good your mind can be. Oh, for sure. That whole uh, thing around endurance, you know, mm. as a 20-something-year-old, I used to run marathons and stuff and look You're crazy. I used to run up, but now, you know, I have trouble running for the bus. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, and I think, how did I ever do that? But there is something about the mind, isn't it? What What yeah. about you? What have, what have you learned, not just about your physicality, but about yourself by playing, you know, semi-professional sport, by playing rugby and playing netball? You're, you're obviously a very, a, a very in tune, good athlete to do all those things. I remember, as I said, I remember you being a great swimmer. Mm. You've learned through all those sports and playing sport. What what are some of those lessons you've learned about yourself or just about being human? Mm. Well, I would actually kind of rebut you and be and say I'm I actually like I don't think I'm hugely naturally talented at any of the sports that I play or played or did. I think I am stubborn and I think <laughs> that I am I don't like being bad at something, but I am, if I find something that I think I'd like to be good at, I'm pretty determined to be good at it and not have someone tell me that I'm not. And I think that like, obviously that that's, I'm not, I don't want to undermine the fact that I'm a capable athlete, but I think there's a huge part of me that says, no, I'm not going to be told I'm not good at that. Like I want to be a good swimmer, so I'm going to do what it takes. So what is that? Is that training 11 times a week through school? I will do that. Like, mum, can you take me to training every morning at five o'clock? Can I go in the afternoon? Oh, I need to do some running because it's going to help me get better at my endurance side of swimming. Like whatever it is, like that you hear you read you you feel you listen to you hear like you hear people talking about you say if that works for them will it work for me and I think I'm very um pragmatic and practical about my (laughs) my application in rugby and if it's something that I'm not good at and someone tells me that I'll go rep out as much as I need to to get good at that skill Um, so I think that there is an element of stubbornness and like not wanting to be bad (laughs) like if it's something I want to be good at I want to be good at it and do you think Um, that drive does that come from somewhere or do you think it's just something that's part of your personality um, I think it's probably part of my personality I think my parents were also fantastic in being um, open and encouraging to me to be great at whatever I wanted to be great at Um, so if I you know showed interest in something when I was much younger my parents didn't say no they said okay you want to you want to play tennis buy your tennis racket and we'll give you lessons Um, and if I stopped showing interest what what else do you, you know what else are you interested in like I didn't I wasn't pushed into a lot of things but I was definitely given a lot of opportunities to try things and encouraged when you know you you start getting good at something yeah and you didn't um, know how it was going to go I mean no. in the case of these things as you said your drive pushed you to to be better and to, to yeah. know how to do these things but, but you know you obviously get a taste of success at something that makes you want to continue it so I'm not yeah. saying that I 
started completely with no hand-eye coordination. But in saying that, like, you give me a tennis ball and ask me to juggle or catch a tennis ball. I struggle to catch a tennis ball. Like I'm a terrible thrower. If you ask me to overhand throw a tennis ball, it ain't going very far. Like, <laughs> but it's a skill that I haven't had to practice. So I don't, I don't expose myself to it. But if you told me, hey, Emily, you're going to have to throw a ball 25 meters, like tennis ball 25 meters, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'd practice and I'd work out how to make it good. Um, so it's, I don't know, there's an element of that that I definitely have learned about myself. I think I've also probably learned, and I know I learned this through Skeggs as well, but it's been reiterated to me through my sport that like women are so capable of doing anything that they put their mind to. Yeah. Um, and that like the the powerful people, powerful women that I've spent time with training with or alongside or being coached by have been like groundbreaking and I'm excited to feel like I can do that too. Um, a part of rugby for me, like rugby has been such a huge part of my life growing up as a kid, um, as a spectator. And the fact that I now get to have an opportunity to use rugby in a different way and and have that be part of my identity as an athlete I think is really cool and it's a really great opportunity for me so I definitely value the sort of the people that I've been exposed to in the game um not only the women but the men as well Mm. but that just that opportunity to be not pushing stereotypes but kind of pushing stereotypes in the same breath like it's not it's still not common for women to play rugby you know, you still have so many people say to you, oh, but you mean you play contact rugby? Full, like like the Wallabies? Yeah, yeah, like rugby union, the game that you know. Like, So I think like that, that side is quite resilient building because it is exhausting having to explain that you do something that girls shouldn't do. Um, but like I love that too. Uh, I was talking to Marina Carrier a little while ago. Yes. Talking about her journey yeah. and the difference in her uh, area of sport. What an incredible woman and athlete, by the way. Yeah, incredible story. Very similar to yours in a lot of ways, but I won't go down that path right now. <laughs> but she talked about noticing the difference, not just in terms of pay for men and women, mm-hmm. in things like rugby or certain other, other sports, yeah, but even just I don't know. Have there been things that you've picked up that you've noticed? I mean, women's rugby isn't hasn't been around as long, but still, there's there's bits and pieces which I guess need to catch up in a way. Mm. I suppose I kind of revel in that, like not underdog position, but I like lo- I love that I get to educate people that I talk to in an everyday lifestyle sort of situation, like working, you talk to people about rugby, oh, you you play, and then I get to educate that, yes, women play or right. no, we're not paid um, equally to the men or lucky I love rugby and how good that I get to sort of have that, um, not the fear of being a full-time athlete and the integration out of it. Um, right. You know, I suppose you can, i like to think that I I have that like positive outlook and try and make it a positive spin because people get sick of hearing the the sob story. Oh, we're not paid the same as the men. Like it's really hard for us. Like it kind of 
if you think about all the negatives all the time about the sport and the the inequalities that you face, it makes you a bit bitter about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, like, I don't play rugby because I want to be paid like the men because if I thought that that's why I went into rugby, I definitely picked the wrong sport. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like, and it, it's, I hope that in the future a young girl gets to turn around and go, I want to play for the Wallaroos for Australia yeah. and I want to earn a great full-time salary doing it. But I also love that at the moment I get to be this person that doesn't have to necessarily worry as much about what my future after rugby looks like because I know that I'm capable of working a nine-to-five job. I'm capable of studying. I've done all of those things at the same time. Like you don't want to put yourself in that position where you're saying, well, I'm playing rugby, but because it's yeah. not men's rugby, it's sort of second rate. Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that I get to potentially influence people and teach them about something that they didn't know rather than being like oh I feel like I'm always the like teaching people like I I love that I get to be the one that like has a conversation and be like and look I'm a normal person too like (laughs) and so you've played for your state Mm -hmm. played for your country Mm -hmm. where did you play for Australia what and what what uh element was that who have you played against so I recently last year played in the World Cup in New Zealand. Um How was which that? was incredible. It's such a cool experience. Was that the first World Cup you played in? That is the first World Cup I played in. I spent the previous World Cup in 2017, um, which was held in Ireland as a at-home reserve. So I was just outside of the 32 that went to the World Cup or the 30, I think, and I, I stayed at home just in case there was an injury. I was on call ready to go, but unfortunately didn't get a call up. And you played, and, and so you played last year? Yep. And uh, what position do you play? I'm a back rower, so I play number six or seven usually. Right. Flanker. The flanker, that's right. Yep. And, yeah. um, and that experience of playing for your country, is that something that you always imagined, you always hoped for? Yeah, it was unbelievable. So I debuted in 2018 for Australia, for the Wallaroos, um, at ANZ Stadium at Homebush um, as a double header with the Wallabies and All Blacks right. uh, for their Blood is Low game. We got beaten. But standing there and singing the national anthem and watching the haka and running on this field that you had, like I had so many dreams about it in the lead up. I had stressed feelings of I'm not going to be able to make any tackles. I'm going to drop every ball. I'm like, I can't do this to be like, I'm going to make a, a, I'm going to like get an intercept. I'm going to do a chip and chase. I'm going to carry the ball down. I'm going to score a try. I'm going to be the hero. Like I had all of those thoughts in the lead up to the game. Um, and it was, it lived up to so much of my expectation, not in terms of the um, performance of individual, you know, scoring tries and intercepts and missing tackles, but the the reality of playing a game with my parents and my family sitting in the stands and singing the national anthem and facing them and just it was it was everything I'd hoped and dreamed of. Wow. So the whole experience, not just playing the game itself, but the whole experience. Yeah, the whole experience. It's fantastic. 
and then yeah. last year you're in New Zealand, you said. And, yeah. And are the is the New Zealand women's team uh similar standard as the male all blacks? Yes. <laughs> what, yes. What, do, what what can we do to, to beat them? <sighs> well, being a full-time program would help us a lot, I think. Right. Um, I'd like to say pay as well would help, but I don't think it would actually change the rugby. Um, is it ultimately, in New Zealand for women? Sorry? Is it in New Zealand for women? Yeah, so last year was the first year that the Black Ferns program went full-time right. for, the, for their women's rugby, uh, and they ended up winning the World Cup. So it worked for them. Yeah. They do have an incredible pool of girls that played and have played since they were kids. So the the, the culture of, of rugby in New Zealand is obviously slightly different to Australia for the women's game. Uh, but they ended up beating England in the final, uh, which was an unbelievable display of women's rugby, if I do say so myself, went down to the last last second of the game to to know who won the game so right. um, yeah it was a really great game but New Zealand um were fantastic they beat us in round in game one of the World Cup which was a shame but we we did put on a good show against them considering we've never beaten New Zealand before right. um and we also lost to England so at least we lost to the two teams that came first and second <laughs> if not we probably would have been there <laughs> You beat everybody else, you would have won. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and uh, what about the next World Cup? Is are you have you got your set sights set on that as well? Yeah, I have. Um, the next World Cup is twenty five, and it's in England. Right. So I, a part of me says, well, a huge part of me said I was going to get to thirty and I was going to retire, and. Then the World Cup got pushed back. So I was like, oh, I'll get to 31 and I'll retire. And then I got to the World Cup last year and I was like, why would you choose to retire from something that you love? It's still it. good at it. And the body isn't saying no just yet. Um, or you're not being pushed off your position by someone that's younger just yet. Mm. There's like a huge amount of young talent coming up, which is really exciting. But at this stage, I'm still competing with them. Yes. So yeah. um, I'd also just, I don't know, the second World Cup, it's only three years away because we had the extra year for COVID last World Cup. So I just think I'm here over in England at the moment. I'm getting sort of the most exposure to rugby that I've ever had or great rugby that I've ever had. I'm going to be familiar with the environment Um I've contracted for, I've just signed my contract for 2022 for Australia. So I know I'm still in the nice. scope for this year. So when I come back from England um, around July, I'm fully eligible to play for Australia again this year. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to put a time on it. I don't want to say I'm going to retire on X, but um, I think pushing for the 2025 World Cup would be and the next, it's the next big goal, I suppose, for me. And retirement so, sounds like a hard decision to make in like well, when you're 31 or 30, you know. Yeah, I guess the thing is what what do you, you know, when do you when do you have a family? Yeah. When do you have kids and do you come back from from kids and 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 put your body physically through what we put our bodies through? Um it's a challenge. Uh 
when do you earn real money to be able to sustain a family or have a house or you know be set up for your future like there, there's there's all of those things that as a female non-professional rugby player I have to I have to weigh up yeah. um and so I always thought 30 sounded like a year that one should start being really serious about their career and I got to 30 and I realized yeah I can wait <laughs> um right, right, I, didn't, right. I just I just think you're forever retired from sport once you retire um, and if you can still keep doing it and you still have the love for it, I don't know why I would choose to not do it. Yeah, um, that's right. If you can do it and yeah, as you say, you're enjoying it. So yeah. It sounds a lot like you are living in the moment and like it's a, it's a good way yeah. to be. It is. It's a little bit scary because I do like to think that I'm pretty normally like future focused and like to have myself set up. But I don't think that I'm disadvantaging myself because the the skills that you learn playing the sport and the people you meet um, will really uh, well, are helping me on this journey as well. And I think exactly. like I'm not afraid of the story that you get to tell from playing sport as well and what that can teach you. So, yeah. I am living in the moment. You're right, Gary. No, yeah, well, <laughs> and I'm loving it. Yeah, what you were saying before, it sounds like your path has been about opportunities mm. that come your way, and you've taken those opportunities and decided mm. to make a go of it. And mm. as you say, you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know where this is going to lead you. Uh, you've got a degree. If you want to go down that path, um, there's lots open to you. So I'm, I'm yeah. guessing you'll work it out. You're not I know I will. That's it. <laughs> That's it. But I've definitely 2025 World Cup would be a huge addition to my um rugby resume. That'd be great. Yeah. It'd be lovely to talk to you, Emily. And um, so good. Yeah. To you uh, too, Gary. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful, and to hear what you're doing over there, and it's so interesting, and the the way that you've approached it, and. Uh, the real trailblazer, I guess, for women's, not just women's rugby, but women's sport. And thank you. Women all around. So I really appreciate what you've shared. It's been great having you here. And I thank hope you. So. What's the weather like over there? It's very hot here today. Don't ask about the weather in England. It's so depressing. We had snow last Wednesday, and this oh. Wednesday it's been um, it's been raining. So we're we're at about six degrees. I know you're at like thirty eight or something silly, and I'm so jealous. <laughs> I love summer, and I'm missing summer in Australia, which is so sad. But that's okay. We're learning new things. I've I've been playing and training for rugby in more layers than I knew it was possible to move in. So <laughs> yeah, it's great. Different conditions, right? Yes. Well, thanks everyone for listening again. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you've got any questions for Emily or for myself, please send them my way and I can pass them on. But uh, I hope you're all doing well and I look forward to seeing you around. Take care, everyone. Bye.